The Paul Leslie Hour, helping people tell their stories. And now, your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. It's a great honor to have you with us on this transmission of the Paul Leslie Hour. The man I am about to introduce you to, I'm speaking to for the very first time, but I have seen him in movies and television shows for my entire life. Hector Uberry is an actor of stage and screen. He has starred in productions on and off Broadway, and in movies such as Crocodile Dundee 2 and McBain. Hector Uberry is also a veteran cabaret performer. His show, Call Me Papo, is great storytelling and wonderful songs. So, Hector, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to me. Oh, thank you, Paul. The pleasure is all mine. I love to talk about uh, the theater and the movies. It's it's one of my biggest thrills, you know. Uh, I never get tired of it, talking shop, let's say, but I enjoy talking to people who don't know much about it. When I was doing the, sh- the movie McBain in the Philippines, we shot that in the Philippines. And a fellow actor and I just got into talking about about movies. We were in the lobby for eight hours. Didn't realize time had flown until some of the actors, uh, Christopher Walken, comes in and we're about to have dinner. I said, oh, my God, eight hours nonstop talking because we just got involved with the ins and outs of movie making. So I, I really enjoy, you know talking and uh, reminiscing. I've had a wonderful career and I'm still at it. As a matter of fact, I still take, believe it or not, ballet classes. I take ballet classes just to keep my body in shape and aligned so that I'm still standing straight and not bending over, which happens to a lot of people as they get older. And, I, and my, my philosophy is that I'm still hoping to be discovered. <laughs> I always, you know, people say, my God, other actors tell me you've had such a career. And I said, yes, but, you know, I, I'm still not satisfied. You know, I, I don't know if I ever will be satisfied. I, I, I enjoy what I do very much. And that always takes uh, first place in my life, you know. And I, I'm, I'm always happy. You know, I'm not, I'm, I wish I could do more, yes. But we all do. Hmm. We all like to be, you know, I've been waiting around for a Western, the Comanche Stallion, which uh, was promised to me, but they keep losing their financing. We were supposed to shoot in, uh, anyway, I don't want to bore you with the details on that one. But, uh, you know, I started taking my writing lessons up here in New Jersey. I went across the state to New Jersey. I live in New York City. And uh, I started taking private writing lessons just to be sure that I was really on top of it, even though I had done movies before riding horses. But it doesn't hurt to have a refresher. Hmm. You know, a second ago, you were mentioning that you are still, you do things like ballet. How important is it to take care of your body when you're an actor? Well, I, I think ballet is probably one of the best exercises an actor can have. You can do, you can think of yourself as doing swashbuckling films. 
fencing. I, I also took fencing. But ballet keeps you aligned. It keeps you straight. And uh, it, it gives you confidence. It gives you a lot of confidence that you can walk into a room and you can say, here I am, present. And uh, no, I'm not going to be a ballet dancer. I've done Broadway shows where I used to be the lead dancer. But those are phases that, you know, you go through in this profession. Being that I'm only five foot six tall, I knew that they were not going to give me leading men roles on Broadway. So I had to dance. I started while I was in high school. I went to the high school of performing arts, which is better known as like the movie. It's called Fame. They did a movie about it. And I was a drama major. But on the outside, I would go to modern dance classes and ballet classes. So I had a choice of which way to go. And I chose to do drama because it would take uh, it would give me longevity. Whereas dancers at one point have to give it up. So ballet, I would say anyone should take ballet classes, even if you're not good. It's great exercises, and it gives you a lot of confidence. I know that you were born in Puerto Rico. and Correct. I know you moved to the United States when you were very young, but do you have any vague recollections of that move i do i do i don't understand why but i do i recall getting into a what they used to call station wagons with the luggages on top and i going from adecibo adecibo was where i was born and that's where they have the famous radio telescope called the observatory it's one of the largest in the world and i recall as a little boy with my two sisters and my mother, and taking the van to the airport, getting on the plane, and of course my two sisters were a little bit squee, they were throwing up, and I was just taking it all, looking out the window. But I do recall, I do recall this man taking me into the beach on his shoulders. And I remember panicking in my mind saying, what is he doing? Is he crazy? If he falls, I fall, and there it goes. That's it. I do have those memories. I also have memories of going under a, what they used to call a faucet, a big faucet in the, in the square. And be, uh, we used to get in there and just uh, shower because the sun was so hot. Puerto Rico is a very hot uh, sun. And so there are those kind of memories. I remember some other people. And uh, it's amazing because most people that I meet, they said, I don't remember a thing. And I said, well, I have certain memories. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it's still, it's still part of me. Tell us about your mother. My mother used to be a singer in Puerto Rico on the radio stations. And uh, she was a very strong woman. Uh, we lost her in 2006. But she, she was a determined woman. We came to New York. My grandmother paid for us to come to New York City. And uh, I remember I was, I was the chosen child because I was the only male. And I would see her performing here in New York with bands, Latino bands, four or five instruments. And she would get up there and sing. And 
I was, of course, a little embarrassed because, I, you know, you don't want to see your mother or father get up there and, and sing, but they loved her. And I guess I must have gotten a bug from her to sing. Interesting. So tell us about the kinds of music that you would hear around the house mm-hmm. and also just in your part of your neighborhood, your area. Okay. I came from Harlem, New York, which is uh, basically was on 129th Street, which is called the main part of Harlem, not East Harlem. I lived there for a couple of years, but then we, we moved into the projects. They're called Projects New York City Housing Authority. And uh, it was a tough neighborhood. There was a lot of gangs around, and and people are the Puerto Ricans stayed with the Puerto Ricans, and the African Americans would stay with the African Americans. They didn't mix. No one mixed, and it was all like territorial. My friends and I, I, I was always singing, so uh, we formed a doo-wop group, doo-wop music. I used to go to the Apollo, where I saw many, many performers uh, singing doo-wop. And, uh, of course, my ego was such that I needed to be the lead. So I sang, and they would do the back harmonies. And uh, some of my heroes were Jackie Wilson, Sam Cooke, Louis uh, Frankie Lyman, and the teenagers. So we were all imitating them. And I would sing, and we would sing at parties. And that's how I got my start, you know, singing doo-wop music. And then later on, I found out about Broadway and I started singing that kind of music. And I found out that I could, believe it or not, that I could sing opera. So I had a teacher who was pushing me (laughs) to be at the Met, Metropolitan Opera. And I said, come on, it's going to cost me so much money to just do that. But I had a, a myriad different styles. I could sing rock and roll, I can sing um, doo-wop, I can sing Broadway music, and I can do classical music. And I, my, my thing is, whoever wants to pay me to do what they want me to do, that's what I'll do. I don't put any limits to, you know, anything, to music, specifically music. I, uh, I'll do it all. Just tell me where's the stage and what's the play and so on. And I'm very enthusiastic, Paul. I, uh, you know, I still feel like a little boy in a candy store <laughs> when it comes to performing. I just, I love it all. I, I dream about it. I, uh, I never stop. Nothing stops me from performing. The only thing would, would stop me, of course, uh, an illness. But uh, thank God, none of, none of that has happened. Being that you. For you, it's it's an exciting thing. It's something that you love to do. As you said, you're like a kid in a candy store. Yes. Have you ever been afraid to face an audience? Oh, yes. Every performance. Yeah? Every performance. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's, it's terrifying. I'll give you an example. Uh, a few years back, I was doing the narration. I was the narrator in a musical play. I didn't have to sing. But I'm the first one on the stage. And the audience is waiting. The curtain comes down. And I'm saying backstage, and I say, what did I get myself into? So then I <laughs> throw myself out and I turn on a, a gear in my body. And all of a sudden, I'm all smiles and everything. And the audience is right there with me. 
and and they I I had them going and I introduced the character that that they were going to see. Um, but yes, to answer your question, I get nervous. I get nervous all the time, but somehow there's something in me that uh, turns it on because I say to myself, "Hey, this is your living. You've got to do it." You know, some people are pay are paid to do construction work, and you're a performer. You go out and do it, and that's it. And I just ignore the nerves, although, you know, you're always nervous. There's just no getting around that. Anybody who gets up in front of an audience is going to be nervous. But me, I just turn, I, I say, turn on the key and uh, of the car and just go, boom, <laughs> and I'm on. I'm on, and I recommend that for everyone. Just let the nerves, you know, if you don't have nerves, you're in trouble. Because that means you're not excited, and you're, and if you're not excited, the audience is not going to be excited either. They want to see you in danger. So one of my, one of my acting teachers says, they want to see you in danger up there, and you know that given, so go do it. <laughs> Who would you say taught you the most about acting? Well, at the high school of performing arts, I had a teacher who just passed away at the age of. 96, Michael Howard. Michael Howard, uh, as a matter of fact, I believe he started a theater in Atlanta years ago. I forget the name at the moment, but uh, I I could do no wrong. I could do no wrong in, in class. In the cl- I was a drama major, and he had me doing Napoleon Bonaparte in a, a, a funny play by George Bernard Shaw called The Man of Destiny. And uh, <laughs> we rehearsed it, and then when the audience, the audience they had, we had to do it for the school, it's the senior project. And then the curtain comes up, and there I am. <laughs> and so I start the whole thing, and I concentrate, and the audience is laughing, and they're laughing with me, and so on. I said, well, I guess I'm all right then. So that was Michael Howard, and then there was another teacher who from performing arts high school. This is all performing arts related. I learned everything I needed to learn from the high school. And I was taught, I, could, I would say well enough that I could take that and, and use it in, uh, in you know, my career. As a matter of fact, I graduated in the year 1965. And that same year, I went out to do Bye-bye Birdie in San Antonio, Texas with Raul Julia. And uh, then I came back to New York and I said, okay, now what? There's no work, but what am I going to do? And somebody said, you know, there's a Broadway show that is looking for someone else to, to, to go into their show called The Royal Hunt of the Sun. And it was about, it's about the Spaniards conquering the Inca Empire. And I said, okay, put me up for it. And I auditioned and I got the part. And so that same year, after graduation in September, I was on Broadway doing what I was taught in high school. (laughs) You know, I did not, there was no magic bullet or anything like that. I did just what I was taught. And I still do exactly what I was taught. I still think, I, I put them on my shoulder, like sort of, and I say, what would you, what would I, what should I do here? And it comes to me. You know, I've created, when I went to the audition for Crocodile Dundee 2, 
My agent calls me. I'm in the health club. And she says, look, they want to see you today. That was uh, the same day. And I said, what? And they said, There's, here's a model. You can pick up the monologues for the audition. And here the, here's the description. The description said, Rico, death in his eyes, wears gold chains. And then I said to myself, well, that's not me. So what am I going to do? So I went home and looked through some my closet, shirts and jackets and everything. And I said, you know, I'm going to do my thing because I know I'm never going to get this role. No one's going to see death in my eyes when I walk in. And so I went in there and I decided to make him a playboy. Like he's going out on the town. And that's what got it for me. So you see, you can... You can create things for yourself that works, and they find it interesting, too. And that was that film, Crocodile Dundee 2. Two weeks later, I was in Australia <laughs> filming, and, uh, of course, the rest is history. I, I did 19 weeks of work on that film. Two months in Australia and the rest in New York City. And uh, another example, the McBain we talked about earlier. McBain... I was in Los Angeles, and my agent said, you have to come to New York for this audition. And she sent me the monologue, and I said, uh-oh. He talks about sending flowers to this dictator, to this president of the Columbia in the cemetery. So I came back to New York, and I flew, and I said, I don't have a clue how am I going to do this. But then I said, he sent flowers. I went downstairs to the local flower shop and bought myself a flower. And I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to play with the flowers, smell it, caress it, and and do the whole monologue that way. Okay? <laughs> and so then I went back to L.A. where I had left my things. And my agent calls me a day later and she says, I don't know what you did, <laughs> but they don't want to see anybody else. <laughs> so you see, in the script, things are given to you what to do and all you have to do is just run with it or use your imagination. I have a, a vivid imagination. I could, oh, I could do stuff. I could do, I, I love Greek mythology. You know, uh, it's, there's no, there's no stopping any uh, creative stuff that I have in me. I, I just, uh, you tell me what the play is. I'll create something. <laughs> Interesting. A moment ago, you were mentioning how the character of Rico, the drug lord in Crocodile Dundee mm -hmm. 2, had death in his eyes. Yes, that was the description of the character. And, and he had gold chains hanging from his, show, uh, from his ne uh, neck. And then I said, well, that's not me. I don't look like that. I'm too, I'm too nice a guy, you know? And I said, well, they're going to see right through me. So I I just decide, you know, let me let me just go against what they say in the script, in the you know in the description, and just do it like a playboy, like a, an international playboy, and I'm gonna I'm going on the town, <laughs> and uh, I got there concentrated with the clothes I sh I selected. I had a little chain. A simple chain with my initial H on it, 
just to give it a little flavor, not uh, nothing big. And I had a little ring in, on my finger, pinky ring. And then I said, well, that's about all I'm going to do as far as the chains. And I said, forget about the death in the eyes. That's not me. So it's not going to happen. I said, I'm not going to get this job. So what, what the heck? Uh, I'll just go and, um, and do my thing. And if they like it, good. If they don't like it, well, that's, that's too bad. And when I went to the audition, I walk in and I saw a lot of other actors for the same role. Somebody had a, a silver tooth that he painted on. A ponytail, and I said, I'm not going to worry about it. They're going to beat me out of the job, one of these guys, but I'm going to do my thing. I'm going to be a playboy. And I used these, and it was a, three pages of dialogue, monologues, you know? And I sat there, and I went, I had a chewing gum, and I figured, well, let me, let me just be a wise guy <laughs> and, and start chewing gum, and I started chewing gum. And at one point, she said something, and it, it took me one bit of a, a moment. I was about to spit the gum at the casting director while I'm on camera. They're putting the, they have the camera there. And I thought better about it, and I said, no, that, that'll kill me. <laughs> so then I just didn't, but it took the moment. I took that moment to, to register that I was not happy. And then I, I, I chose a laugh that I got from, uh, remember that movie, Kiss of Death, with Victor Mature and Richard Widmark. Richard Widmark was a maniacal killer, and all he did was laugh through the whole film. Mm. <laughs> so I chose to emanate that. You know, you, you borrow. Jose Ferrer, uh, another actor that I worked with, he said to me, yes, yeah, steal, steal from other actors. So I, I had this little laugh in you know in as the character of Rico at the audition and it intimidated them. I know the laugh you're talking about, but I'm hoping for the <laughs> listeners if you could emulate Well, if I say to you, I'm gonna see you tonight <laughs> <laughs> Right? Yeah. And that's that's the kind of laugh it is, is uh and you show your teeth, and you show your your personality. And um, uh, one of the lines in the movie is, "I'm going to build an island one day. I'm going to steal. I'm going to buy an island one day. Hawaii, maybe." <laughs> 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 and uh, <laughs> it's it's one of my trademarks now. The laugh. People say, "Oh, that laugh of yours was un you know unnerving." And I said, "Well, good. Then I did my job." <laughs> Yeah. That's what I want to do. I want to keep you off balance. <laughs> so that was the only thing that I did. And I forgot about the death in the eyes. I said, that's not going to be because not me. And I'm not going to get this job. One of these guys who look like they have death in their eyes is going to get it. And they didn't want to see anybody else. What I think makes him believable as a bad guy is that, you know, most people who are bad, they're not completely bad. There's something about, you know, Rico kind of had this thing like, hey, I'm, I'm not such a bad guy. And that's the thing. Most bad guys tell you they're not bad guys. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You can, you can kill somebody. And I mean, I'm, I wouldn't say that in reality, but uh, in, 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 in acting, you can kill somebody and just 
smile about it and said, yes. Now, did, now we're, didn't you know that I was going to do this? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful world, the theater and acting for me. Uh, I get excited every day. I keep thinking. Every time I read a script or something, I, I think, can I do this? And a lot of times I say no, because it isn't, they're, they're not written that well. You know, it's all in the writing. And they're not written that well, so there isn't much I can do about that. But when they're written well and I get to memorize them and so on, it's hard to stop me. Whether I get the job or not is something else, but, but I'll develop that character. When we were talking about McBain, you were saying that yes. you were in the Philippines. Yes, we shot three hours. We flew into Manila and we had to drive three hours into the jungle because that's where the location was uh i had a uh i had a henchman forget the actor's name but he played hans h-a-n-s and he was british and blue eyes <laughs> and then there was victor argo victor argo played the president of the country victor argo was also a fellow puerto rican actor that i knew very well in new york and uh I, I tell you, I'll give you an anecdote. When I first arrived in the hotel and so on, they said, the, the producers want to see you because they want to measure some suits for your character. So I had to drive. They drove me to uh, three hours away just to get measurements and, uh, and try on the suits that they had made for me. Well, I go downstairs and the, hand, the, the driver looks at me, okay, here we go, my soft face and everything. And he says to me, are you one of, es I played the character Simon, Simon Escobar, Simon Escobar. And he says, are you one of Escobar's men? And then I looked at him and I said, and I put on, of course, the, I went into the character and I said, I am Escobar, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> it, sort of, it sort of intimidated a little bit, I knew, if I go, oh, yeah, yes, I am, you know, and play it like Hector normally would, I said, no, I, I wanted to just show dominance and uh, that I was in charge. And, you know, because you, you, I, I find that if you go on the set and you go differently than what, than what you audition with, they start having doubts and stuff. So you have to play the character up. And that's what I did. And the guy just opened the door for me. I got in the car. But he thought I was one of the softies and one of the bodyguards. Until I told him, I said, no, I am Escobar. <laughs> now let's go. <laughs> it, it's fun. It's, all, it's play acting, you know? Mm -hmm. It's play acting. It's not serious. I mean, but in my mind, I figured they're not going to trust you if you go in with something else. Acting has brought you to a lot of different places, and one of those places would be Atlanta. And I'm hoping you can tell the listeners about that. Okay. Atlanta, Georgia, in 1976, I was invited by, there was a, a musician, John Head. John Head had conducted a, a production of Man of La Mancha that I was in, and we got along famously. And he was from Atlanta. And he was part of the symphony orchestra, and he was scheduled to be the musical director, con conductor, 
of a new musical called Gone with the Wind at the Theater of the Stars. Chris, Ma Chris Manos was the producer. And so he calls me one day and this, after we had done the show, he says, hey, Hector, what are you doing this summer? I said, well, I'm just relaxing, not doing much. He said, why don't you come down here and do Gone with the Wind for us? And I said, there's nothing in, the, in it for me. You know, I look Hispanic. Uh, it's just not going to work. He says, what do you care? Come down here and just get a paycheck and hang out with us. I said, okay. So then he set it up uh, with uh, Chris Manos. And Chris says, okay, come in. I uh, went in, signed a contract. And then I started doing God with the Wind, the musical. And we had David Canary playing Red Butler. And uh, I got the part of a Confederate soldier. <laughs> and when the flag came down, the the Confederate flag came in the middle of the show, come, comes down, the, the audience went wild, applauding it and everything. And then I said, I looked at to myself and I said, oh my God, thank God that I am a Confederate soldier and not the Union in this show. <laughs> <laughs> I had fun, you know, and of course I, I became, as far as I was concerned, I was, a, I was part of the Confederacy. I didn't think anything else. I didn't think whether it's right or wrong or anything like that. I was a Confederate soldier, and that's, I was proud to be a Confederate soldier. And I kept saying, the South will rise again. <laughs> and I had to put on a Southern accent, because I had a line with it when I, when I say to Scarlett O'Hara, and I said, and will you join us in the barbecue? <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good at mimicking, you know, sounds and stuff. I have great, great ear. And uh, that was that particular production. And then in 1995, I was on a tour of Man of La Mancha. And we played the Fox Theater right there on, I believe it's on Peach Tree Street. That's correct. And, yes. And John Collum, we were there for two weeks. And again, Christopher Manos. Chris Manos was the producer. So I went over to him and I said, hey, Chris. He says, oh, my God, you're, you're back. I said, yes, I am. <laughs> so I have great memories of, uh, of the Atlanta area. They've always been good to me. And uh, I love the people of Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, it will always be in my heart, part of my, uh, my, uh, my being. I love, I love Atlanta, Georgia. And can't wait to go back, to be invited to go back and uh, do some more playing, some more singing and, and acting. You know, the, the film in particular industry here has grown so much. I heard, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I heard, but I'd have to go down there. And, you know, a lot of times they, they don't like to import actors because that means spending airfare and then per diem and then, uh, and then housing them. It's just, you know, they just try to get local talent, which is fine. You know, I understand that. But uh, I look forward to coming down to Atlanta and uh, working, working my magic. <laughs> well, on the note of airfare, I know that you're a man who enjoys traveling. Oh, yes. Yes. I did two films in Europe. This is you'll find very interesting, Paul. I did two films in 1991 and 1994 
one was called Operation Polka, which is a, a French a film, Lego Real, and it was uh, produced by, it was a French and German production. And I played a character named Mario, a killer. And what happens is I spoke in English. The character, everybody else spoke in their own language. So you had the French, the leading actor was French, and he spoke in French, and I would answer him in English. And the German actress played one of the roles, and she would speak to me in German, and I had to put a knife to her throat at one point. And then I said to her, look, would you tell me what, what the last line she was saying in German so that I'll know when to, to come in? And so she told me, and then when she did it, boom, I put the knife right to her and said, I told you so. And uh, the other film was uh, The Ardent Heart. This was a wonderful film. We shot that in Germany and Mallorca, Spain. And I played a Mexican general called Ruiz Ramirez. And I got to do a Mexican dance with a lovely, with a lovely Dominic, Dominic Sanda, a wonderful actress. And we became lovers in the film. And I had to speak my lines in English, and they spoke their language. She spoke in German, and I spoke in English. I've also... I'd also done a, a play, believe it or not. My first movie was in 1969, The Cross and the Switchblade, with Pat Boone. I don't know if you remember Pat Boone. Oh, yeah. But Pat Boone, uh, the director, Don Murray, a famous actor himself, he didn't want to cast me. I auditioned, and he says, I don't know, you, you seem so soft and so innocent to be a gang leader. I said, no, I'm trying so... He gave me the job, and the first day of shooting, the next day, he comes to me and says, I looked, I watched you on camera. You are mean. And I said, well, thank you for that. <laughs> uh, you see, though, so it, it's all in, in your imagination, and if you could bring it out, you've got it made. The problem is, if you don't bring it out, then I don't know, it's goodbye. I know that you've been to Greece and you've been to Cartagena. What would you say is the most remarkable place you've ever been to on Earth? Well, you know, I've done plays. The King and I have done three productions of it. I did a production when I was a young prince, Chulalongkorn. I have photos of that as a young prince. And then later on, I did uh, the Kuala Home, which is the ambassador to, to the king. And I decided I wanted to go to Thailand because I wanted to see the palace, what it really is like. I'm one of these actors who believes in uh, when you do a role, I want to see the origins, the real, real world where the play takes place. The same thing with uh, Greece. I was in Greece last uh, July 17th, and uh, I'm a big mythology buff and uh, all the Greek gods and everything. And I wanted to see Crete because I wanted to see the labyrinth where um, in, in mythology, that's where they had the bull, the minotaur. And again, you know, I have such a vivid imagination, Paul. I, I see these things and I know it's not real, but however, the, the part of my imagination takes over. And Greece was a very important part of my life. Cartagena, 
you know, we landed in Medellin. Medellin is a, used to be a, a drug haven. I wanted to see Colombia because I've played two Colombian drug kingpins in Crocodile Dundee 2 and in McBain. And I sort of felt like I want to see, <laughs> I want to see what Colombia's really like. And uh, Medellin was the place where Pablo Escobar, the famous drug cartel leader, he was from there. They even have tours to go and see his haunts. And I decided mm. not to do that. I decided, no, that's a little scary because you never know. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but uh, I like to, whatever I perform, I want to see what, it, what uh, the real place is like. You know, call it imagination, call it foolishness, but uh, that's who I am, you know. I'm just a creative animal, if you want to put it that way. And I, I, I love it all. I lived in London for a while, years ago. Went to Germany. I was going to have a singing career in Germany. And then the money got a little bit too, was running out. And I said, no, I got to get back home. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I, I really believe traveling is, is so eye-opening, and I, hard, and I really recommend it to everyone to travel and see how the other world lives. Hmm. Absolutely. Well, I know you have a rehearsal to run to soon. Uh, one o'clock, I have to be there, yes. This is going to be an interesting follow-up to the Call Me Papo show, because it takes place where... Call Me Papo ended up, you know, because we never touched. We only do the young days when I was in Harlem and, and going to the Performing Arts High School. But this begins after that. So it'll talk about a little bit of my career after that. People want to know. We never even mentioned Crocodile Dundee 2 in the show or stuff like that, which is the big stuff that I've done. But this time we're going to do new music. And I'm very excited about it. And I look forward. Maybe I'll come down to Atlanta and perform it there. Maybe. That would be awesome. Yes, yes. You know, we're open. We're open for business. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you can tell us about one of the musical numbers that's going to be in this one. Okay. Well, one of the music. I, I really, I'm not going to share the first two numbers, but one of them is It All Depends on You. Here was an audition that I went to. I went to an audition. This is, this is true. I went to an audition, and I decided, well, you know, I, I knew my friend, well, not my friend, but my coworker, Jose Ferrer, who created the role of Cyrano de Bergerac on Broadway, and he got a Tony Award. And then he did the movie, and he got a Tony Award for that. And I figured, well, in his honor, I'm going to do a speech from Cyrano de Bergerac, which is the no thank you speech. And I go in there to the casting director, and after I finish the monologue, he says, hmm, I've never seen Atahualpa done like this. Atahualpa was the god king in the, the Royal Hunt of the Sun from Broadway, because he was looking at my resume, assumed that that's what I had done, that I auditioned with. And I said, no, 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 that's not Atahualpa, the, the Inca god. That's... Cyrano, the French poet. And he says, well, I don't know. I would never cast you for that. 
So my thing is, well, I guess I'll say Ferrer was a fluke. And and he did he got the Tony and the Oscar. So we sing this song called It All Depends on You. Meaning, in other words, my career depends on what you do, you know, what you allow me to do. And it's that old song that Al Jolson used to sing. <laughs> it all depends on you. It's the one that says, I can be happy, I can be sad, I can be good, I can be bad. It all depends on you. I can, you know, and so on. It's a great number. And it will do, uh, we'll do some dancing. It's like an audition piece. <laughs> so you can see all my talents. Wonderful. I probably, yeah, Dan, he'll probably say, uh, I haven't seen the script yet, but he'll probably say, well, okay, thank you. <laughs> Don't call us. We won't call you. Oh. <laughs> yes, that's part of the business, you know. And But I don't let it stop me. I've had so many rejections. So what? There's always somebody who will say yes. Hmm. <laughs> and, and that's what I count on. The negative people, well, that's their problem, not mine. And I believe when somebody says no, there's another door somewhere along the way that will say yes. What is the best thing about being Hector Uberry? Well, being Hector Uberry is that I like my life. I like what's become of my life. I have no regrets. Uh, yes, I would love to have had the career that John Wayne did. Tyrone Power. You know, I would love to have had that career where the old movie studios were around and they, they would create your your life and everything. But I'm happy with Hector Ubarry. Hector Ubarry is still a little there's still a little boy in me called Papo. And my, my family still calls me Papo. They don't say Hector. Uh, they, and I I enjoy my life. I have no regrets as uh, Edith Piaf said in that song, Je ne regrette. Jean Requien, she had, she has no, she doesn't regret anything. That's the English translation. And me too. <laughs> I'm looking around for the next person to, and also I have an advice if, to your listeners. Take my advice. I, when everybody, anybody asks me about my performance, I say, you know something? I perform in case there's someone out there who's going to discover me. They said, I've done Man of La Mancha for 20-something-odd years. I had done that. And they said, don't you get tired? And I said, no, because to me, every night is an opening night. <laughs> These people have never seen me do this role. And why am I just going to you know, slack off and, and just be bored? And I said, no, it's a new audience. It's a new, it's a new beginning every night. Every night is a new performance. And that's my motto. Never Never be a victim and just keep moving forward. And I love my audiences and they seem to, to like what I do. And it's a happy medium and it's a great love affair, me and the audience. I want all the listeners to visit HectorUberryNYC.com. That's H-E-C-H-T-E-R-U-B-A-R-R-Y-N-Y-C.com. Thank you so much for spending time with us, and thank you for such an entertaining and informational interview. It's been great. My pleasure, Paul, and have a wonderful day, and I'll see you in Atlanta someday. 
I believe it. Thank you. All right. Have a great one. You too. Bye-bye. Until next time. Boop, bop, deep, bop, doodly, keep, bop, doodly, shop, bop, ding, dock, ooh, no, I just think it was like a pom pom cook it to be, a zilla, bock, a tom, pumpkin, tom, com, pom, goodle, look, all the goodle, loop, bop, boodle, boom, goodbye.